Good to see everybody this morning. It's been a good morning already, hasn't it? Yeah, and um, we are certainly excited for Easter Sunday and the launch of Valley Church and the lives of those that are going to just uh, just devote their life to Jesus, saying, I've decided to follow Jesus through baptism. So if you're interested in that, uh, please, uh, please let me know. We'd love that. Um, we love to see lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's why we exist as a church. So this morning, um, we are going to uh, get into God's Word, and I want to just let you know also that um, we have a baptism this Sunday as well. Let's hear it. Let's hear it for that. Yeah. Um, our very own Tommy Meeks is going to be baptized just uh, at the end of this service, so we're looking forward to that um, together. Um, also, I just want to extend just a personal thank you uh, to you guys that have partnered with us in uh, being for the Valley um, with uh, just helping with our community center. Uh, this is something that uh, we use almost on a weekly basis. Uh, Kayla, our office manager, takes countless reservations for that that community center from just people all over not just people in our church but just in our community that want to have birthday parties and um, it's just a way that we serve our community um, we've seen a lot of different events happen in there and it's just a wonderful way um, it was it was actually kind of funny the other um, the other week when the high school was here we had four different high schools I think here and um, and I, we got a text from from one of the one one of the teachers that was here saying, "Yeah, the kids were walking through our church, and and uh, they said, man, this church is cool.'" <laughs> 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 so uh, we love that. Uh, we want this space to be one that uh, people love being in uh, because they get to hear the greatest message of all, and that is the gospel of Jesus. That's why we do what we do. Okay, um, but uh, hey, this morning we're gonna get uh, gonna continue in this series. Hurry. And um, I'm preaching a message entitled, How to Live Simply and Be Satisfied. But before we get into God's Word this morning, there are more pressing issues that we need to talk about. Because I am wondering, for some of you, how you are doing on your March Madness bracket. <laughs> Does anybody do that? Okay, Lyle says, yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah. All right, let's show hands, show hands. All right, okay, and how many are doing well still? Oh, okay, Doug is still doing well. All right, congratulations, Doug. All right. <laughs> you know, we, uh, we love college sports, don't we? And, and, and some of us love professional sports, but sometimes college sports, just like I just like watching that much more than, than professional even. And uh, I think the part of it that, that I love is just that I admire a lot of these athletes for their dedication, their hard work, their discipline. Um, a lot of them are way overpaid. Uh, because, you know, too much of us just watch sports too, way too much, you know. But um, a lot of them are just so talented, and we admire that. If you're an athlete, or if you have um, maybe served or been, been friends with an athlete before, you'll recognize right away that an athlete is very dedicated to what they do, right? Um, they make a lot of sacrifices. They uh, eat right. They work out regularly. They sleep a certain amount of hours in a day. Um, they practice consistently. And uh, this is something that if you're going to be an athlete, I was even talking to, to um, a father of some, some, uh, who had some daughters running track, and they said, man, like, it's painful. It hurts. But they work hard, and they push right through it. And uh, that's what we see from, from athletes, don't we? Did you know 
that if you want to see a physical change in your body, that you are going to have to discipline yourself? You are. Just like an athlete, you're going to have to make decisions that you normally wouldn't do, things that you don't feel like doing in order to make that physical change that you want to see happen. Maybe it's eating kale. <laughs> or, uh, or going to bed at a decent hour. Or maybe not, not uh, going out to eat every single lunch for your lunch break, but choosing a salad instead. Maybe it's getting the, the right sleep or, or changing your schedule around. Um, maybe it's working out consistently or watching what you eat. Um, all of these things are ways that we can change ourselves physically. But did you know that it doesn't just apply to physical change, that, that, that discipline does not just apply to physical change, it actually applies to us spiritually as well? We've been talking about spiritual disciplines, and, and some of us, we fail to recognize that in order to change spiritually, we have to discipline ourselves. Following Jesus actually requires discipline. It's actually the root word of what we call ourselves. We call ourselves disciples, right? Did you know that the root word of disciple is discipline? It's true, yeah. And we've been in this, this series, Hurry, we've been talking about these spiritual disciplines. And we said from the beginning that our purpose is, the purpose of spiritual disciplines is that these are practices to be with Jesus, become like him, and to do what he did. That's what they are. And Paul, he said to Timothy, you'll see up on the screen this first scripture that we're going to look at this morning. It's from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. And Paul writes to this young man, and he says this. He says, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds a promise for the present life and also for the life to come. You know, as we talk about spiritual disciplines, it's important that we recognize that, first of all, these, these disciplines do not save us. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ to the glory of God. We're saved by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. But, but these inward and outward disciplines that we're talking about today are how we live in alignment with how he's called us to live. We walk as Jesus walked. And so, so many people want to say that they, they want to live like Jesus without adopting the way of Jesus. And we need, to, we need to practice the way of Jesus. We need to watch him, how he lived his life. And that's what this series is all about. To unhurry and to follow Jesus and walk as he walked. To live as he lived. So, so far in this series, we've talked about some inward disciplines. And we've talked about some outward disciplines, and we're going we're gonna to actually be focusing on some, some more outward disciplines this morning. Some of the inward disciplines that we talked about were, we, we began by just explaining this whole idea of unhurrying. Last week, we also talked about practicing silence and solitude, and I think I, I heard from a number of you that was impactful for you because you realized, yeah, that was, that was me. I, I, I don't live like that, and I need to change to follow Jesus' example of getting silent and practicing solitude, time with God. But then uh, this week and in the couple weeks to follow, we're going to talk about some other spiritual disciplines. Next week, we're going to be talking about giving and praying and fasting. These are outward disciplines. As well as then um, the last week, we'll talk about slowing. But uh, this week, 
we are talking about what I would call one of the most difficult spiritual disciplines to practice, and that is the discipline of simplicity. The discipline of simplicity. You may be like, what? I've never heard of that before. Yeah, it actually is. If we want to model the way that Jesus lived, if we want to follow him the way that he walked, then our lives will be ones of simplicity. And so the question that I have for us is, how do we, how do we strip back all the complications and live the life that God has called us to live? How do we unclutter our life so that we can live as God has called us to live? And it comes where, through what I believe is a spiritual discipline of simplicity. Now, some of you hear simplicity and you're like, wow, I like that. I already am, am, am pursuing simplicity, okay? I'm going to declutter my house, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move into a tiny home. Who likes to do that? Who'd like to do that? Yeah, okay, yeah. We got a few takers, yeah. A little child right there. She, I don't think mom would like that, though, right? We need our bigger home already, right? All right, I'm going to sell all my stuff, right? <laughs> I'm going to paint my walls white and decorate really simply. A lot of us, we like, that would be awesome. And we think that that's what simplicity is. Can I tell you, that's not what we're talking about this morning. We're not talking about uh, a trendy lifestyle or decor. No, we're talking this morning, we're going to talk this morning about a spiritual focus that manifests itself in our outward living, focusing on the kingdom of God. In his book, The Celebration of Discipline, there was a man by the name of Richard Foster, and I encourage you to read this book. Um, he wrote this. He said, simplicity is freedom, and duplicity is bondage. Simplicity brings joy and balance. Duplicity brings anxiety and fear. That's Richard Foster. So what is simplicity? Can we define that this morning? Simplicity is this. We've got a definition for you. Simplicity is the inward reality of focus upon God and his kingdom. Let's take some time to focus on the word of God this morning. If you've got a Bible, open it up. I want you to open up to our first passage. I have them listed there in your bulletin. We're going to start off with Philippians chapter 4. And um, you, can, you can turn there with me, Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be jumping around through, through a few different passages this morning. But Philippians chapter 4 is where we're going to begin today. And here we see that the Apostle Paul, he writes to us some words that I think, uh, think some of us need to hear this morning. He, he says this. He says, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. 
What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received, revived your concern for me. You indeed were concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I am speaking, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You know, as we just read that last verse, you'll recognize that as probably one of the most well-known verses in all of Scripture, along with John 3, verse 16. But what I would call a verse that is often the most misquoted verses in all of Scripture. You know, we, we put this verse on our jerseys. We tattoo it on our arms, don't we? We plaster it on our locker rooms, and uh, we, we even paint it under our eyes. But you know, Paul, he was not talking about kicking a field goal, scoring, scoring a, a goal, you know, launching, launching a javelin into the air and getting it the farthest that you could. Um, he, he wasn't talking about um, hitting a grand slam or scoring a touchdown or kicking somebody's butt in a fight. That is not what he was talking about. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You know, he was talking about something that was more difficult than even all of those things to do. He was talking about contentment. Contentment. Being grateful in whatever situation you find yourself in. Finding contentment in that. He says, I have learned. And something you got to learn. He says, I have learned in whatever situation... I am to be content. You know, this is, what he's talking about is something that actually runs very countercultural to where we live today, don't we? We live in a culture where, where we are told that in order to be content, we have to have more and we need to have better stuff, right? And Paul said here, I've learned the secret is not more and better. I've learned that it is actually found in focusing on God and his kingdom and the values of his kingdom. He said, I, I'm going I'm to dwell on these things that are true of God and his kingdom, things that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and praiseworthy. These are the things of God. That's what he says. And Paul was actually living out here what Jesus taught in this next passage that I want to take you to is from Matthew chapter 6. You can turn over there if you have your Bible. And we're going to actually be spending the bulk of our time here this morning. Because this is so close to this concept that we're, we're looking at, this spiritual discipline of simplicity. Where Jesus is preaching a sermon that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And he's telling, telling the people there this. Matthew 6, starting at verse 19. Matthew 6, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, 
and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What does he say? Jesus knows what it's like to live here on earth. And God, he created a perfect world, but because this world has been stained and marred by sin, everything is going to tend to disorder. That's what happens. And so we buy something nice. We buy a nice new car, and what happens? Over about 10 years, 15 years, that car starts to rust. In fact, I sold my, my, my 2005 Dodge, Dodge Ram 2500 Bighorn um, that I had in Michigan when we moved here because it was so full of rust. In fact, every time that it would rain in the winter, I would see this huge rust stain on the snow beneath it because it was just falling apart. I could almost watch it just rust away. That's what happened. Jesus says, this, this is what happens. Everything you have here on earth is subject to being either moth-eaten, corroding, being stolen, or destroyed. It's not going to last. You're not going to take it with you. But he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Store up treasure in heaven, he says, where thieves don't break in and steal. Where these things don't rust or corrode, these things will remain. This will be a wise investment. Can I just tell you, if you're wondering what, what Jesus means by this, Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart will always follow your treasure. Think about where your mind goes when it's idle. What are you looking at? What are the things that, that, that you obsess over? Maybe you're on Facebook Marketplace a lot and you're looking for maybe a, a new car or a boat or something like that. Is that where your heart is? Or maybe, maybe you invest. Some of you, some of you are taking, taking a ride with, with some investments. You know, a, a couple years ago, there was, there was a number of people that, that all of a sudden started caring about this stock called GameStop. Remember that? Because all of a sudden, this, this like nothing stock just went boom because everybody invested in it. And everybody was so concerned because that's where their money was. Maybe, maybe you, you even dipped your toe into like crypto and NFTs, right? And, and you're taking, taking, uh, taking your chances with that. Guess what you're doing? You're probably obsessed with checking it. A lot, over and over again throughout, throughout your day, just to, just to make sure that your investment is doing well. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It doesn't have to just be an investment in some company or some stock or bond. No, it doesn't have to be that. It could be whatever you put your time and energy into. And the same is true about the kingdom of God. If you want to put your heart into the kingdom of God, then put your time there. Put your energy there. Put your resources there. Put your talents there. And I guarantee you that your heart will follow. That's what Jesus says. Matthew 6 goes on. Jesus, Jesus continues. And he uses this illustration. He talks about our eyes. And he says this. He says that the eye, in verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, healthy 
here means, and I came to understand this this week as I was studying deeper in it. Healthy means that your eyes are focused on the same thing. And when your eyes are focused on the same thing, like Martha, I'm looking at you right now. My eyes are focused on you. The light is coming into my eyes. I see you clearly, right? You're in focus. That's what Jesus is saying. When your eyes are aligned and looking in the same direction, you're going to be able to see clearly and light will come in. But what about this? When your eyes are, like when you're going cross-eyed, right? If I try and look over there at Phil and try and over, look over there at my beautiful wife, guess what's going to happen? Try it. Just try it a second. Try and look two different directions at the same time. Some of you are good at that. What happens to your eyes? <laughs> it gets dark and blurry, right? You can't see. And that's what Jesus is saying here, that the end result, if you're looking at two different, in two different directions, that there is going to be darkness internally. And look at how he explains this for us. He says, no one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. That's like looking in two different directions. For either he will hate the one and he will love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Okay, how do we understand this? Well, the word money here is, is a word that means actually just more than dollars and cents. The word actually used in scripture is the word mammon. And this, this word is more broad. It refers to money and wealth. And also our material possessions, things that we acquire throughout our life. Things that we obsess over, things that we want to gain, okay? And so, so Jesus is saying here that you cannot live life here on earth looking in two different directions. Because here, here's, here's what happens. You're going to start to look like this. Crazy eyes, right? That's what you look like to Jesus. And guess what? Can I see very well with my crazy eyes? No. <laughs> That's really what Jesus is saying. You cannot do both. You're going to be crazy eyes. And you're going to live a life of darkness. But seriously, he's going to say, say, you are blind and you don't even know it. And so if you're trying to live life focused on both God and mammon, you're going to be looking in two different directions and you're going to be blind, but you won't even know it. Each one, he says, is a master. And you cannot serve both. John Calvin, he said this, where riches hold dominion of the heart, God has lost his authority. And so simplicity is the inward reality of a focus, both eyes aligned upon God and his kingdom, living for what will last, living for what truly matters, following Jesus in this way. And so question may be, well, how, how do we live like this? How do we live like this? Well, Jesus goes on to then explain. I said we're going to stay in this passage here. Let's read on. He says, therefore, I tell you, because of all of these things that I said, here's, here's how I want you to live. Here's how to live. He says, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? 
and your body. It's not your um, eat, eat or drink, nor about your body, what we put on. It's not life more than food and your body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. Look at them. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so closes, clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and you know that your heaven, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What is Jesus saying? What's the answer? You need a simple, single focus. You need a simple, single focus. Seek first the kingdom of God, he says, and his righteousness. You know, I believe that too often our desires to acquire things dominate our energy. They consume our time. And you and I live in a culture that, that I believe is filled with what I would call designer dissatisfaction. And that means that, that the goal of every advertisement is simple, to make you dissatisfied and to make you think that you are not happy. And if you bought their product, that then you would magically become happy, right? It's estimated that the average American sees and hears over 4,000 ads every single day. That's 4,000 times a day we are being told that we are not happy and we wonder why we struggle with contentment. But simplicity begins with a focus on being content with the reality of our future, of being with God in his kingdom. That this world is not our home, and we will take none of this with us. One last passage that I want us to focus on before we get into some practical help, and I'm going to have you fill out some notes to just take home with you and meditate on, is this passage in 1 Timothy. And he, he fleshes out a little bit for us what this looks like, how we can practice this concept of simplicity. He said this, 1 Timothy 6, 6 and 7, he said, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of it. You probably heard that phrase, um, you know, one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for, for, only what's done for eternity will last, right? You never see the U-Haul coming behind the hearse. You're not going to take any of it with you. And that's what he's saying here. You're not going to take it out of the world. But he says, if we have food and clothing with these things, we will be content. Could you say that this morning? 
Because I think I, if, can I be honest? I think I would actually struggle. And I think you would struggle too. He says, says, this is where you need to get to. This is the spiritual discipline of simplicity. Finding contentment just in having what you need. He says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, and into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. That's what Paul says to this young Timothy. And he says this very wisely. He says that the money is the root of all kinds of evil. Notice he doesn't say that money is evil. Because God uses money. He does use money for his purposes. He does. But, but he says that we can be so consumed with the love of money, the wanting to gain money, that we forget. And we align ourselves with the values of this world rather than the values of the kingdom of God. And we're not going to take any of this with us. It was Soren Kierkegaard who said this, and I got this quote, I'll put it up on the screen. He said this, that riches and abundance come hypocritically clad in sheep's clothing, pretending to be security against our anxieties, and they become the object of our anxiety. They secure a man against anxieties just as well as as a wolf that is put to tending the sheep. Have you ever experienced that before? Have you ever ever bought a new vehicle and then and then everywhere you drive you're just concerned about keeping it like nice and shiny and pretty, right? And and making sure kids don't get around it and you park at the, you know, back end of the parking lot just so nobody smashes their door against it, right? We had that one time. It wasn't a new truck, but it was a nice, you know, we thought it was a nice truck. It was a nice truck for us. And we were so consumed. We wanted to keep it, keep it looking so pretty. And it became, what he said, an object of our anxiety. It was, it was, we bought it to solve a problem, transportation problem, but, but instead of it solving that problem, it became an object of anxiety. One time we also bought a boat. We bought a, a nicer boat, a Bayliner up in Michigan, and every time we took it out, I was just so worried that we were going to scratch it on the dock or, or do something to mess it up, And because, you know, I'm not a mechanic or anything like that, and, and so I was just all worried about it. It became an object of anxiety. Who's had that before? Who's had that? Yeah, a lot of us have had that. Yeah, okay? Guess what I did with that boat? Can I just tell you? I'm an idiot, okay? I said it. You didn't, okay? You know what I did one time? We were pulling it out of the water, and I forgot to pull the motor up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and guess what I did? I drugged the keel of that, that motor all the way up the boat ramp. Yeah, I was just like, I was sick, you know. Wow. It became an object of anxiety, and that anxiety came true, right? <laughs> okay? Sometimes we don't have that for no reason. But, man... We live this life so focused on our stuff, don't we? So consumed with what we have. And it just takes away any thoughts to eternity, any thoughts to just what, what the re- true reality is. This life is short, and it's not going to last. You know, tomorrow I'm doing a, 
uh, memorial service for our uh, dear brother, Bill Garrett, who passed away. He passed away from cancer. And man, talk about a testimony, man. He, he lived that, that, uh, those last few years of his life dealing with cancer with just such peace, peace that I, I, I hope that I have as I, as I pass from this life later on in years. He was so open-handed just about, God, you can do with me what you want. You know, I'm here right now, so I'm going to serve you. That was Bill. That was Bill. And uh, man, praise God. We even have uh, Millie here with us today. And, and uh, Millie, she's gone through the passing of her husband, Jim. And Jim was, Jim was a man that modeled this as well, man. He lived, he was the most generous person that I knew, right? Who would say that about Jim? I, I knew that, yeah. Those that knew Jim. Yeah, he was so generous. He gave away so much, and he gave, I mean, the most of it was his attention and his time to people. He really cared deeply for people. He modeled this for us. These are some examples that, that we can follow. So, so as we end, let's just talk about this. We're going to wrap up with, with a few notes that you can fill out here that hopefully you can take home and practice. It's this, number one, what are some attitudes simplicity produces? What are some of the attitudes that simplicity produces? Number one is dependence. Number one is dependence. You see them all, all up on the screen. You can write them all down. Let me just go through these quickly. Dependence is realizing that we are insufficient and we are weak. That everything that we have is from God. You know, it's easy to forget this. In fact, this realization is the first step that we need to take if you want to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ for yourself, you need to realize that, first of all, before a holy God, you are weak. And you are completely helpless, blind, and naked, and totally like an infant, dependent on God. You need him. Your sin separates you from a holy God. And praise God, through Jesus, you can trust in his work. And that's the second one. It produces trust, to trust in God that can pr God who can provide for your needs. How do you know that God can provide for your needs? Not only because he just told you, just here in Matthew chapter 6, right? If, if he cares for the birds, he can care for you. But he showed us by coming down from heaven to earth that we might go from earth to heaven. He showed us by sending his own son and trusting him, believing in him. You can have salvation in his name by grace through faith. Your heavenly Father cares about you. He does. And the Christian life is a life of faith. Scripture says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so put your faith in him. Put your trust in him. This leads to a third attitude, and that is the attitude of generosity. Generosity. Scripture tells us that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when you've given something away, you, you, you you're reminded of that. You have this, you know, these warm fuzzies, right? You feel good about doing that. But why do we then shrink back and too often hold tightly? I think it's because we don't actually trust God to provide. So it's the attitude of generosity. When we understand that God is not only our creator, but our provider, we can live open-handedly. Darren, he, he spoke about John 3, verse 16 this morning. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave. And we give because he gave. That's what we're about. So dependence, trust, and generosity. These last few points then is this practically, what, 
what in the world does this outward expression look like? How can I live simply? I've got some, some practices that you can follow this morning. Take them home. See if you can apply them into your life. They're a little bit small, um, so do your best. I'll read them off for you, all right? <laughs> number one, number one, try and buy things for their usefulness and not for their status. Maybe when you're thinking about buying a car, buy a car for its drivability, not for the status or prestige that it will get you. When you're thinking about buying a home, think more about livability than impressing others. When you're thinking about hobbies, buy the things that you'll actually enjoy and use rather than what everybody else enjoys and uses. Stop trying to impress everyone with your clothing. Impress them with your life. That's number one. Number two is this. Reject anything that is producing an addiction in you. What's an addiction? It's something that's beyond your control. Something that you can't contain. So look out for undisciplined compulsions. I've got a funny story for you. I hope this doesn't undermine my point, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Because I got, a, I got a rag on this guy. You can figure out who it is. I, I, went, I went out with, um, with a guy the other day. I, I was called to an intervention. And uh, this was a guy that said, I, I, can, I can stop doing this anytime that I want to. I just don't want to. Okay? And I was like, you're an addict. Okay? Well, we were, we were eating at this restaurant, and, and I told you, dude, you are addicted. You are addicted to Chick-fil-A. <laughs> he was. He was. He even said that he'll, he'll make random trips up to Menards in the Highlands just to eat Chick-fil-A, right? And so, so, you know, that's a silly story, but the reality is a lot of us, we really do struggle with some things that we just can't control. And so watch out for those things, even if it is the Lord's chicken, right? <laughs> That's what he kept on saying. He kept on justifying. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, you're, you're addicted, Okay. <laughs> Number three, develop a habit of giving things away. Don't just give away things that you don't like. Give away things that you enjoy. It can be good for your heart. The opposite of accumulation is decumulation. So get rid of things rather than accumulate. You know, all the things that we don't need, I've noticed end up complicating my life. I've got to move them. I've got to dust them. I've got to, you know, store them. You know, some of you guys, you pay monthly for storage, storing things that you won't ever use and you don't even like just to keep them out of your sight. I don't understand this, but you'll pay $100 or $50 every single month to store this stuff. Get rid of it. Get rid of it, okay? God's word for you today, right? No, that's my word. All right. But, uh, yeah, we do this. You know, one, one rule that we made was, was this. Um, We've noticed that, that uh, it's important that we only have one toy at a time. And what I mean by toy is, you know, we have toys that we like to have as, as adults, like an ATV or, a, uh, you know, a, a boat or, um, you know, I don't know what else we have, a camper, motorcycle, cabin. I, I've noticed that some of you that have these things have all of them, and then you don't have time to use them. Because you're constantly just, just so consumed with maintaining them or, you know, fixing them, you know, and, and, and you don't actually end up using them that much. And so we said is one, one at a time. We're going to do one at a time, and when we move on to something else, we're going to sell it. 
so that we're not consumed with just all these things. Because what it does, it creates complexity in our life. That's for me. It may not be for you, but that's something that I've, I've noticed. I would also venture to guess that most of us, we could probably get rid of about half of the things in our home, and we wouldn't even feel any pain. And so, uh, so, so create some margin in your life and in your home and in your finances. Give some things away. Get rid of some things. Number four, refuse the trap of modern gadgets. This is something that's hard for me. I'm saying that because uh, this is something I need to practice. But they come out with a new update every six months just to, just to make me feel dissatisfied, right? And I want the newest and the greatest and the fastest and the best and the latest model. And, and uh, that's not good for my soul. It keeps me dissatisfied. Notice that about yourself. Number five, learn to enjoy things without owning them. We've got an obsession with owning things, and we think that when we own things that we can control them, and we don't remember that even though we might own things or might have the title or the deed to something, that uh, we're actually still just a steward and that God is the owner. He is the owner. You know, there's a lot of things that we can enjoy without actually owning. We can go to the beach without having a beachfront home. We can uh, enjoy public parks and pools and libraries and, and even public land. We don't have to own a lot of land, and we can enjoy public land and trails. You know, West Virginia has some of the best state parks in the world. Get out and enjoy them. Seriously, that, that, that is your mission. Do it this, this, this spring and summer. West Virginia state parks are where it's at. Seriously. There's a lot of things that we can enjoy without owning them. Number six. Develop a deeper appreciation for creation. Stop and smell the roses. This goes with our last point. Number seven, avoid the buy now and pay later thinking. This is something that's really important when it comes to simplicity. It really is. Is, uh, is. is limiting the amount of debt that you take on. Seriously, this is something that has created a lot of complexity for us in life. And I know there's a difference between good debt and bad debt. But in the end, it's all debt. It's all debt. And scripture says that the borrower is the slave to the lender. So don't define your being by wanting. Don't cover, covet what other people have. Limit the amount of debt that you take on. And seriously consider the, um, the implications of it. You know, one day you might wake up and your house might be filled with a lot of stuff that other people liked and other people had. Now you have, and you don't like it, and now you don't want it. And so you need to have a garage sale, right? A lot of us have this. Simplicity is the discipline of what is needed. What is needed? Ask yourself that question when you buy it. Number eight, obey Jesus' instruction about plain speech. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Give your best yes to things and say no to the rest. You've got to say no. And Jesus was okay with saying no so he could give his best yes to the things that truly mattered. Some of the way that, that we have actually tried to simplify our family life is by trying to limit the amount of evenings that we are out in a week. We'll try to keep it to only two, maybe three at the most so that we can put our best yes to things that are more important. That's family time, being together. And that goes along with number, number nine, prioritize the important 
over the urgent. Make a practice of scheduling those things that are important. Maybe it's family time. Maybe it's a date night. Maybe it's church or Bible study or prayer. Practice those things that prioritize those things that are important so that when someone else asks you to do something, they're asking you to take their priorities as your own, okay? So make sure that you have your priorities set up before they ask you so that you know if you have enough margin in your life to be able to say yes. It's a good practice. It takes using a calendar too. Number 10, this is the last one. Shun anything that distracts you from seeking first the kingdom of God. This is going to be the hardest and it's going to be the most difficult for each one of us, but it's what Jesus actually practiced himself. As we end, I want to tell you about a story. And this was about um, Jesus meeting with a, a man they call the young, rich young ruler. And this man, he came to Jesus, and um, he had a lot. He found security, he found value, he found worth in what he had. And he came to Jesus asking him how he can enter into the kingdom of heaven. And, and uh, what, what he really wanted to do was, was add the kingdom of heaven to his already busy life, his already full life. Kind of like this guy, right? Yeah. That's what he was doing. And Jesus said, there's, there's one thing needed. He said, you need to go sell all that you have and come follow me. And it wasn't just the selling of stuff that made him worthy of, of following Jesus. Not, that's not what he was. Jesus saw that he found his security, his value, his worth in what he had. And, and Jesus said, you need to get rid of those things that make you feel valuable and, and, and worth my attention. You need to get rid of those things because they're distracting you from being focused on the kingdom of heaven. And so go sell all those things and come follow me. And it says that this rich young ruler couldn't do it. And he walked away, ashamed. He did. Let's stand together. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. I wonder if um, here in this room, I think all of us could say there is a hint of the young rich ruler in each of our hearts. And so as we bow our heads, as we close our eyes, let's ask God, God, what are you saying to me? God, what are you calling me to? God, I don't want to be split. I don't want to be crazy eyes focused on two different things, focused on riches and on your kingdom. God, you said that I can't do that. It doesn't work. So God, what are you saying to me? And just ask Jesus that right now as you stand here, as we close our service. Jesus calls you to a life of simplicity a life of focus on his kingdom. And Father, we thank you that you are the Lord of all. And so, Lord, we place you here as Lord of our life. And we put our trust and our faith in you. Lord, we don't want to be like that rich young ruler who went away ashamed, God. We want to come to you fully focused, fully focused on you and your kingdom and your purposes, God. Now, you may be here and you may, um, you may have just come to know Jesus even through this service. And you, you've heard that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Can I just tell you this? If you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, he just says this. It is by grace that you can come to me. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. When you come to Jesus through repentance and faith, he will remove your burden of sin, he'll remove your guilt, and he'll welcome you into his kingdom. But it takes leaving that old life and following after him. And so those of you that would say this morning, I need Jesus, I want to receive him, I want to receive his grace. Maybe just raise up your hand so we can pray with you this morning. Yeah, just raise up your hand and just say, yes, Jesus, I need you. Yes, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Yeah, I see that. And if you've raised your hand this morning, just see God right now. These words don't save you. These words, these words are not what saves you. It's faith and belief and trust in Jesus. You can pray these words. Jesus, I need you. I cannot save myself. I confess of and I repent of my sin. And I believe that you died on the cross in my place and you rose again. I believe that you alone are the way, the truth, and the life. Will you save me? I give all of me to you today. And I want to live for your kingdom for this moment on. You have full control of my life. Thank you, Lord, for saving me and making me whole. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.